Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Happy New Year, Peak Speak fanatics. Yeah. <laughs> it's been wait, didn't we release an episode no. earlier in the year? No, that was the end of the last year. The last yeah. last upload is 18th of December. Uh so we've had our Christmas break and we're back. <laughs> Yep, Christmas break. Got a bit ass fucked by January. I don't know about you, but I got a bit ass fucked by January. And uh, here we are realizing it's February and recognizing that, holy fuck, time is a fluid concept. Look, people, the, the downloads on the episodes actually have kind of trended up in the last year. So I appreciate that you're still subscribed and still listening. And let me promise you, we don't not record out of lack of desire, we we at least try <laughs> yeah. like once a week, once a fortnight, yeah, well, once yeah. a year, once a week. One of us will say, "Hey, do you want to record this week?" And the other one will say, "No, probably not," or yeah. some variation of that. Most of the problem is about sixty percent of the time. It's like, yeah, let's record tomorrow, and then I say, "Hey, something's come up." <laughs> yeah, or I I would like to take more credit for our lack of recording than I truly can, but I'm not the one that has a multifaceted gym empire to run. Um, Oversee is probably a better description, isn't it? You're really just a dictator in your golden throne, whipping Henny while he runs around and does things for you. Yeah, I mean, I got a selfie with a giant portrait of Chairman Mao when I was in China, so I've, I've learned a lot. I've been <laughs> picking up tips. Came little, back with a few little red books. Uh, the little blue book is what I'm calling it over here. Excellent, um, excellent. No, it's it's the interesting nature of my life now is that I have no standing schedule. Like I can flash my schedule on the screen, even though you're not watching, you're listening. Uh, but I have like two standing appointments a week. So I'm very flexible, but I have a lot of fires that come out that have to be yeah, put yeah. out very quickly. Uh, but we, we do try it. We do try it. Uh, the other problem is that when I know I can record, it's normally like, hey, John, are you three in 30 minutes? And you're like, no, I have a fucking job. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, the and older I get, the more I realize I fucking hate doing things on a whim like that. Like, yeah. I, because I, I get up and I'm like, cool, the kids at school, I can sit down and like figure out my plan for what I need to do today. And then fucking Tom Bros in my DMs, like, yeah, you want to record in half an hour? And the problem is, I guarantee you what that means is for the next half an hour, I don't get any work done because ADHD paralysis is a real fucking thing in my life. And then we record and I'm like, ha, ah, that was lovely. I'm having fun. Oh, maybe I'll just eat some lunch and, you know, and then fucking three hours have passed. It yes. is ridiculous. Yeah, I must admit, I normally say yes to these things and make it happen when I've got way too much that I need to be doing right now and I classify this as more enjoyable work even yeah, though- I don't get paid Absolutely. for this. <laughs> I um, I regularly refer to this as work to Sim and she hates it because she's like, it's not work. Uh, it I think work. the first time I got someone who was like, listen to your podcast, 
I want you to coach me. I fucking I spent a week and a half rubbing it in her face. It was great. <laughs> I, uh, I have the same. I have the same thing in my office. If you walk in and my office is really clean and tidy, I guarantee you I've got a heap of work that I'm avoiding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm actually perpetually surprised by how much of this sort of stuff that you just do and kind of forget about that people then end up signing up for. Like people will say, like, oh, I've, I've listened to you and John for a few years. Uh, and I'm only just reaching out now. That's actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah, man, absolutely. I um even I had someone just yeah, I can't look at my phone. My phone's a fucking camera. <laughs> anyway, shout out to the guy who sent me a message uh, saying I was an inspiration, um, and he really enjoyed the way I thought about things. That was really lovely, and I appreciated that. I'd say what your name is, but I can't look at my phone and use it as a camera at the same time. Well, yeah, you've become a very like inspirational content poster. Yeah, I fucking hate it, to be honest. Like, I hate that that's it, where then? it's become. Yeah, no, I know. Like, it annoys me that because I hate that stereotype, like, I, it's a dichotomy in my head I'm re- I really struggle with because I find that sort of shit really therapeutic, right? Like, I almost exclusively post this stuff because I need to get it out of my head and writing it down yeah. really helps. I was going to say, is, is there a chance? It's not that you actually hate it. It's that there's the potential of people thinking that you're doing it for some sort of like self-glorification rather than a living journal. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably actually it, right? Like I don't want to be seen as the motivational guy because I know there are so many fucking people in the world that do that and they do it so horribly as well in a way that like really irks me. Um, And yeah, I sometimes struggle with the feeling of, yeah, I feel like all I've done is post about that sort of shit. But actually my my personal Instagram is far more my, you know, public journal than it is a sales tool or, or something like that. And um, I think that's why it's, it's sort of made that shift because it, it is ends up just kind of being my therapy journal uh, in a slightly more censored version. I don't think it's ever uh, felt salesy at all. Like the only time you're promoting anything is when you share a burly thing to your story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that's, that is by design because it's why I have a, like my own one and it's why I made the uh, very deliberate decision a long time ago to remove like the gym name part of my Instagram handle. That's why it's just Shero because I yeah. had this sort of revelation in my head that, yeah, burly strength is all but an extension of who I am and my values. But, it's not the entirety of my identity. I'm just a guy who owns a gym. Um, and because I never wanted my Instagram to just be that, like, this is just essentially a mirror image of my gym account, but with, like, my own training, um, yeah. I, I want it to be much more like that. So, yeah. And to be honest, man, some of those things are, like, they're, they're the best bits of content I've done in terms of performance. Mm. Like, <clears throat> still the best one. I mostly have to shout out Beck Chambers for sharing it for me because – her massive Instagram following meant she, I shared a reel I did ages late last year about the one being like, I'm an athlete. I'm just not very good. Um, and yeah, that like that sort of stuff seems to resonate with a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of people in the fitness space in, in the Instagram world who are a little more holier than thou than they need mm. to be in a way that actually increasingly, like I recognize I actually am not that excited about coaching really high performing athletes I'm actually way more excited about coaching everyday folks who just want to like have a fucking good time doing it and Mm -hmm. improve a little bit over time and are also okay with living their life in a way that they recognize what they're doing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Like a great example, and we've talked about 
Musgrove before, but Tom Musgrove, who did a whole episode on being a lifetime intermediate athlete, um, he he was telling me a story about uh, someone at his work was like, oh, you're like, you know, pretty committed to this thing, right? And he's like, yeah, like I'm three days a week committed. <laughs> and the person was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I train three days a week and like, you know, for maybe an hour and a half, two hours, but like that's about it. Like, um, you know, I'm not eating chicken and rice and like hammering that. I control what I can control and then I live my life. It's yeah. like, yeah, that like increasingly, they're the people I want to coach, right? Yeah. Because I've just seen so many people do the other side of it in a way that makes them fucking miserable outside of the gym experience. And I've done it and I don't want anyone else to have to live that life. Mm. I think we're, we're taught by social media as well to try and be unattainable. It's like try and be... Yeah, the strongest try and stand out yeah. as the shredded or the most shredded or the hardest worker or whatever it's like the actual mass appeal is regular people working really hard to try and be better at whatever they're trying to be better at and not being 10 cuts above the rest yeah and i i think that's where i've i've felt like i've really struggled for a place in the fitness industry for a long time because of that because mm-hmm. i've never been very jacked yeah, maybe I got okay at doing equipped powerlifting and not even equipped powerlifting, just equipped squatting. Um, shouts out best squat in the peak squeeze, peak speak squad. Uh, not that I'm bragging about it or anything. Uh, resting on my laurels from 10 years ago. <laughs> but um, still relevant. Stands the yeah, test of exactly. time. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I felt like, like my first job in the fitness industry, I got fired from because I didn't fit their mold. The fucking guy that owned the place after I spent 10 minutes excitedly telling him about how I was going to my first nationals and going to break some junior records, then proceeded to tell me I should lose some weight. And so, yeah, for a long time, I've, I feel like I've been fighting against that very personally. Hmm. And now that, you know, Burley's kind of established in what it is and we have a reputation, I can be actually like way more aggressively open about pushing that as a thing because actually increasingly the people who are like no nah, that's not you got to do it all in i actually just don't want to be around you you're not a person i want to have in my life and that's fine mm. yeah no i think especially we come from an age where because smart talk around training wasn't really a thing we we grew up grew up you know became business owners online coaches all the rest of it under the pressure of the best lifters get the most clients kind of thing or the best looking get the most clients, the strongest get the most clients. So, I mean, I'm sure you've felt the pressure just as much as me while you were a powerlifting coach to be a fucking gun powerlifter and to embody everything the best powerlifter should be and to feel the pressure of having to compete three times a year and train really hard and post everything and all the rest of it. Uh, And I'm glad that while some of that still exists, it's certainly for me personally and I'm sure for you too, I don't feel the pressure anymore. The pressure yeah. is self-imposed if there is any pressure at all. Like no one's going to judge the success of my brand or my coaching or my clients or whatever on my lifting, which is very freeing. I know I can pull the card of I'm not lifting anymore anytime and still do fine. Yeah. I um, I definitely still struggle with that a little bit. Like it's definitely still a thought process that it, that pops into my head far less regularly than it used to. Oh, so but do I. I'm just trying to be tough. 
Yeah, no, I know. Um, because you're trying to be unattainable and 10 steps above the rest of us with how fucking laissez-faire you are about your feelings. It's great. That's <laughs> it's it's the real long con. Like, look how approachable I am. Psych. Turns out I'm Alex Hormozy and I'm super jacked and I got tons of money. I got um, no money. Fuck. <laughs> uh, no, I ultimately I think that's what ruined powerlifting as a sport for me personally. Um, was that it was that transition from 2015 where we had that fucking huge GPC nationals that was like six days long, 350 something competitors. Mm. I that's still my best ever powerlifting week. I hit uh, my I think my best ever raw total, my second best raw total now, and my best equipped total within six days of each other. <laughs> and on the so I competed equipped on Tuesday. Thursday night, me, Alex Zerber, and a few others went to the strippers and got really drunk. And then Sunday, I competed raw on a whim and, yeah, hit two PB totals. It was great. Um, and out-squatted you. Uh, so good. And it was, it was then the transition into 2016 where I took over and Burley became mine or Burley became a thing. It was 100% that pressure to train hard, to compete, to feel like I have to walk the walk. Mm that ruined my relationship with the sport that put me in a position where I, I was somewhat resentful about the idea of training. And, you know, it's only like 10 years down the road. I can look back and say this, right. Cause I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and it's the, the thing that I've talked about a bit now where all of my like physical performance goals these days, I like, I very seriously don't think I'll ever compete in an organized event again. I can't say that for sure. There's almost certainly going to be at least one powerlifting comp that I'll do and maybe it'll be the last powerlifting comp I ever host because, you know, we, we pull a Ruchies and just, you know, bow out of the sport gracefully at some point uh, because that would be a lovely full circle moment. But beyond that, I no longer need feel like I need the external validation for the things I'm doing because for so long in my life, Personally and then professionally, I've been chasing the validation of someone. Mm. Spoiler alert, probably my parents. Um, but, you know, we don't need to make this into a too long of a therapy session. <laughs> um, but the the stuff I want to do now is all just about like I want to be able to do this and I want to test myself. And that's why endurance sports been so cool as well because it's it's so much – it can't – like it can't be anger I've, I've discovered. I can't be angry and like, fuck you, I'm going to do this because it just lasts for so long I can't keep it up. It has to be like, fuck yes, I'm going to do this. Hmm. And that's been a beautifully freeing experience as well is, is removing myself from that pressure. I absolutely still feel it occasionally though and um, and still definitely struggle with it, but it's way more about I really want to do it and I feel guilty if I'm not doing it rather than I feel guilty because I'm not showing you I'm doing it. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, how as, as you grow and change, you realize that the validation from others doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't change any. As you become more secure in yourself, it doesn't mean anything. And so I remember like living in the shadows of other lifters or other meet directors or other coaches or whatever, and getting so excited when I got you know, a, a little, a little scrap thrown to me, you know, the Chuck, someone invited me on a podcast when podcasts started becoming a thing or, you know, someone introduced me as Australia's best powerlifting coach or someone said something over the mic at a competition. I used to like really chase those things and feel like 
I needed those things to believe that what I was doing had any value. Uh, and, and now like, because zero is so much bigger than I am, the, the gratification from that stuff doesn't matter because it's, it's determined by me. I get to decide if I'm doing better as a coach than before. And so I, I get my own little milestones to make up and I don't care if the world knows about it or not, which is also very satisfying as a coach because it really puts the, the lifter at the forefront of it all. Like, yeah. you know, Theo went for that all time deadlift the other week. Uh, tried to pull 506 and I have no doubt that he'll get it in the next 12 months if he tries again. Uh, when he gets that, I I don't want him to be shouting my praises. I want the world to be shouting his praises. Yeah. That feels good to me. To know that I was a part of that is all I need. I don't need the validation from anyone else. I need to look at myself and be like, I've achieved this as a coach, then I achieve this and this and this and this. It's all just for me, which is so freeing. Yeah, man. Uh, and, and in the spirit of honesty, I felt like that being watching you grow over the last 10 years because it's always been like we've been doing this for a long time and I've always felt like, oh, yeah, like watching you do that. And it took me a long time to get to a point where I was like, I, a, like I've always been stoked for you. It's great. Love it. I think you're a crazy person, but it's taken me several years to get to a point where it's not like, oh, I should be doing more because of what you're doing. Yeah. And realizing, like, I don't want to live your life. Like, I don't want six gyms. I, like, barely keep my shit together with one. I don't need that. And I've always been able to celebrate you and, and make it about you but still had to harbor that feeling of, like, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not trying hard enough. Yeah. It, it took a long time to get to that point. And I think for a lot of us, especially getting into powerlifting, and this is why I tell people all the time, that one of the most important parts about getting into something like powerlifting, I maintain, is you have to maintain a core group of civilian friends, right? You need some friends in your life who have no concept of what good is because very quickly in a sport like powerlifting, especially these days, you get into it and you go, oh, I really suck. Like I am quite terrible at this bottom of the middle of the pack at best, probably never going to be more the middle of the pack. What the fuck's the point? But then you go talk to your civilian friends who's never lifted more than a case of beer in their life. And they're like, oh my God, a hundred kilos. And you get that nice little ego boost. And so it's the balance of the ego crushing realization that you're a pathetic middle of the pack lifter and you'll never be any better than that with the huge ego boost that is your completely uneducated friends being amazed by your ability to lift what on the grand scheme of things are mediocre weights. Um, and that's how you get the balance. That's how you you avoid the pit of misery that is realizing you you're, you didn't win the genetic lottery in your late 20s, early 30s. We get the unfair position as well of having been exposed to the strongest people in the world consistently yeah. for a decade. Uh, yeah. And so like you and I are both guilty. I mean, I can't speak completely for you, but for having a skewed reality of what strong actually is, even yeah, in the, e even in the context of powerlifting, like yeah, yeah, even absolutely. within the sport. Because uh, like yeah. you, you, you've been exposed to the biggest squats in the world. So you're like, yeah, my, my piddly fucking 430 kilo squat. It's like, no, it's fucking 430 kilos. I mean, I've been under 400 kilos and I'm in no rush to ever do it again because it fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was only 410. I'd love to be able to claim 430, but- um, You've been under, you've failed more though. Yeah, man, I had the biggest miss in the country at one exactly. point. Exactly. That, that was my claim to fame. Um, I'd be willing to bet there's not many people who've missed a thousand pounds more than I have in the country. 
we could we could check that um easily sam bring it up <laughs> oh, man we should start doing our podcast live and just get sam to fucking jamie from joe rogan exactly. googling the shit we're talking about can you imagine how terrible you and i would be if next to our screen talking to each other was actually just sam googling the things we were talking about yes. that would be the least effective way to podcast for the two of us ever absolutely absolutely <laughs> Um, I think as poorly spun as this segue will end up being, talking about social media and comparing yourselves and talking then about what we were planning to talk about <laughs> kind of works, kind I of. guess. Yeah, It's I'm not the worst segue we've ever had. No, 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 no. So we uh, were discussing the concept of tripods in the gym after Doherty's gym very uh, vo- uh, vocally and uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Uh, banned publicly? them publicly banned them uh, i don't know if you took the time to read any comments or have ever been exposed to the doherty's gym uh, comments section uh, i know just enough about doherty's to know that that would be a cesspit at the best of times yeah very <laughs> very much so there's there's no filter there's uh there's there's no stop and think about uh professional projection it's just say what you need to say (laughs) yeah it's Uh, i actually got a so i was saying to you before we started recording i got a phone call from um someone at the canberra times uh the newspaper to art like they wanted to talk to me about it and i was actually really interested to talk to them because it's a funny insight into the very significant differences between like a a big box commercial gym in the modern social media fitness age and gyms like ours. Mm. Um, because at least from my point of view, like I don't know about you, but I provide tripods. I had one of them's currently holding my phone up while I use this as a camera and I've got two others out there. I replace them when they break. Like they live in the gym. They are owned by the gym because it's a really, yeah, exactly. It's a really <laughs> useful, remind me to send you the link to the Amazon one. There's a really good, amazon one that i use it's like a i think it's called small rig or something like that what's it called yeah like yeah small rig selfie tripod it ends up being like only 25 centimeters long and it extends right out i think meg got one for christmas they're quite um uh they're quite uh like super portable burly and uh tough they're not like a small tripod that then just falls over yeah but also very portable. Like yeah. I have taken mine riding my bike. Like I've tucked it into my jersey pocket and yeah, ridden with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting because it really highlights – like I, I don't know about you, but I forget how fucked a big commercial gym like that can be in many ways mm. because I just haven't been into one of them in yeah. – like a decade, right? Like very occasionally I go to in, into a commercial gym and it's very rarely like a big box gym like a Doherty's or a you know big anytime or whatever. It's more likely to be a small commercial gym like near my in-law's house, which yep. isn't really the same, right? Because it's mostly retired, yes. gentrified folks and, and things like that, right? A big commercial gym, I just haven't been in one for years. Mm. And so I forget how fucking horrible that atmosphere can still be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's different. I think the the hard thing with what they're trying to peddle at these commercial gyms that are banning them is that the justification they're using is very very hard to police and also uh, 
feels a bit rushed and not actually thought out. So they're like, it's a trip hazard. It's like, wait the fuck up. Every single thing in a gym is a trip hazard. You can't play the trip hazard card. One of the cards is like, oh, what if so-and-so is walking in the background of a video and uh, they've got a restraining order out on someone and then they get seen so they know where they are. It's like, well, that could literally happen Did they anywhere. actually use that as a fucking- yeah, it oh came up God. as a discussion point, which was obviously Ugh. very personal to whoever was talking about it. Yeah, I but was going like, to say, tell me you've got a restraining order out on you without telling me you've got a restraining order out on you. Oh, I think it was the opposite. It's like they had yeah, right. an order on something. Yeah, anyway. Um, but it's like there's – especially if you, if you get out and travel a little bit now post-COVID in the kind of Instagram era we're in, everyone is vlogging everything. There are tripods yeah. everywhere. You cannot escape it. And so it's like – in gyms, they're saying, I'll oh, go up and ask everyone for their consent to be in the background of your video. How can you plan when someone's going to be in the background of your video? And so, like, I get I get the desire to ban the tripod in the gym. I get the privacy reasons, all of that sort of stuff. But you have to have a good justification or no justification at all. It's like, this is just the rule. It's done. Yeah. And then if you do that, there has to be some way of policing it because this is the thing, right? So the Doherty's one is like, Ban the tripod, however, you can buy a media pass. So people are just taking that as a money grab. I don't think it is. Uh, but then it's like, I, what about the, the gray problem. area of balancing your phone or handing your phone to someone to record? Does that yeah. count? Yeah, that's that's the problem I've never had to deal with. The like uh, Instagram celebrity coming in to film their content. Yeah. Right? Like, and I think that's a thing that, like, I know if, you know, if I didn't own a gym, I'd probably still like in the position I'm in, if we close the gym next week, I would end up renting a small office space that would be my training facility or I'd build one at home, right? Like it would be I'd build a small because I don't want to go and film the content I need to film for exercise things and stuff like that in a public gym setting. It's just, just shit. It ends yeah. up being average. But there are heaps and heaps of people who make a living doing that and – from a business standpoint, I can absolutely appreciate that you're essentially paying, you know, in a, I don't know what Doherty's is worth, but let's call it 30 bucks a week because I imagine that's probably pretty expensive for something like that um, to then actually go and make like potentially quite a lot of money out of their facility. They are well within their rights to demand something out of that, right? In the same way that you can't just take your PT clients to a random commercial gym and start training them and make money out of them because there are insurance risks. There are also it's a it's a business. Like you know, that's what you're asking to do there. And so from that standpoint, I'm actually all for it. Like mm. I think you should be able to stop those people from doing that because in the end, they should be more like Eugene Teo and build a fucking world-class gym that's just theirs because if you're good at it, that's what you end up doing, right? That's why some of our friends have fucking crazy gym setups like that that no one ever sees outside mm. of their content because they recognize that's actually the best way to do it. But it's this hard middle ground where I want my members to film things regularly. I like It is a tool that is incredibly useful and I think for people like you and I, our jobs wouldn't exist without it, right? Mm. Like you can't do online coaching exclusively via text, right? Mm. You can't have someone come and describe to you their technique breakdowns <laughs> via text and then you, you know, you teach them. It just doesn't fucking work. And yeah. so what we do for a living would be very, very different in an era where that doesn't exist. It's, I admit, it's hard to police, like you said, how, how you go about doing that. But I think the better way to do it would have been 
hey, here's our community. These are some problems we're having. Here's what we need to do about it. You know, make it a consultation process. Because I get the feeling from just flicking over that post that what they did is someone in the Doherty's management went, fuck, this is a problem, and then put out a post about it. Mm. And it it felt a little bit from my my point of view rushed and like they hadn't, like you said, put a lot of thought into it mm. in a way that like, yeah, as an example, where um, for our comps this year, they kind of put in a clause about like I, I'm still not quite sure how I'm going to word it, but like I don't want an Instagram hero lifter and his mate with their professional SLR camera turning up and getting in the way of and being in and around the platform when I've got a professional photographer who's been paid or is paying to be here, right? Yes. Like how do we police that? I still want your mum to be able to film your lifting on Instagram, but your mate coming in with a light and their fucking SLR getting in my way, that's a different thing, right? Because, again, you're trying to make this a business for you. It's why my comp wall looks like my comp wall. Because doesn't matter who you are, what your brand is, you can't compete at my house without having my name on the wall. Exactly. And that again, that's a business decision, right? Like yeah. I did that because it's a branding business decision. And walking that fine line is hard. Like I'm gonna have to spend some serious time thinking about how do I word this in a way that isn't no, you're not allowed to film anything and no cameras are allowed. But also you're not allowed to bring your fucking mate and his photography, videographer gear just to get in the way and give him the shits. Because I like I might have to throw someone's camera across the room if I see another fucking videographer <laughs> in the warm-up room of a powerlifting meet. Um, and it's even worse when they're filming like a coach coaching people. That fucking grinds my gears <laughs> in a way that makes me want to stab someone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh dear. It's um it's Interesting as well in these big box gyms. Uh, I guess this whole idea, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I had something at some point and I thought if I started talking about it, it would come out, but it's just not anyway. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to roll those dice and hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, like it's 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 hard for us because we recognize the importance of filming. That's, that's the main yeah. thing. And so- like who are we to tell someone that they can't film their lifts regardless of whether they're just an Instagram punter or someone actually making a shitload of money out of their content, whatever it is, uh, and where are the lines that we draw between that? What I find interesting for me is that like I remember the first time I ever filmed gym lifts, I had a handy cam because cameras didn't Yeah, dude, really I remember having to fucking film it on a flip cam and like take the SD card out and upload it to the Oz Bodybuilding I was going to say. Which I've, I've been trying to work out a good way to bring back training logs that aren't like Instagram training logs. Yeah. We need to talk about this at some point because I fucking love, I used to love going through those forums and like checking in on my friend's training. Like I don't necessarily care about the rest of your life. I just want to see what you're doing in training and like see how you're doing things. We need to bring that back in a way that isn't just Instagram promotion. But anyway, that's a topic I, for another day. I just logged into OzBB. I didn't think I'd remember my login info. Uh, oh, but no shit. I'm going to have to go check that out. This, this was the thing, right? We used to we used to film this stuff, upload it to YouTube, embed it in our OzBB forum, which was like, it was the title at What's Happening at PTC Gold Coast or What's Happening at PTC Burley. Yeah, uh, something along those lines. It was, but it was also like training logs as well. Like yes, each, personal like I training had my logs. Own training log post and yeah, yeah, it, and like I don't remember the transition of going from there to filming stuff on our phones and like uh, 
putting it on social media. But where I really don't remember the transition very well because I feel like it's very recent. I've got heaps of videos on Instagram from years and years ago, like 2013, 14, 15, whenever Instagram started letting videos go on Instagram. Uh, but I never used a, a tripod. I never balanced it on anything. We always handed our phone to someone and said, yeah. hey, can you record this? And now yeah. no one does that. I never see someone recording someone else in my gym. It's always balancing on something or on a tripod. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just yeah, interesting. I, I don't think I'd ever thought about I don't think I ever thought about that transition. Because there's definitely still like if I was training with someone, maybe I'd, I'd ask that. And I actually I was talking to, again, Musgrove about this the other day. Um, one of the things that I feel like doesn't exist in the powerlifting training space and the training space, I guess, more broadly, that did when we were sort of coming up through it was the idea of like a training crew. Mm. And that like, yeah, you know, you, me and two other blokes at 6 p.m. on a Friday always squat together and like we're always doing exactly the same thing. Like even, and again, I'd like be willing to correct it on this, but even in like the PTC Brisbane deadlift party days and stuff, everyone was there deadlifting, but it wasn't like we're all training together. It was we all just start deadlifting at the same time. Hmm. Whereas like you look at the West Side era of, the AMPM crew and like everyone's doing the same program. Like it just, that doesn't exist in the same way. And I feel like maybe the, those two things are related because in that environment, it was like, you know, Steve's resting while you're squatting. Can you just film this for me? Yeah. And that probably plays a role as well. For sure. Also, I don't think you could get phone tripods when we started training. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the other thing. You you could get a tripod, but it was like for your SLR. Yeah. And wasn't the thing you could put in your gym bag. But e even with that, I still don't remember that because very few people, everyone films here, very few people actually use a tripod. Most people like balance a heavy collar on a bench with their phone or we've got like the deadlift blocks, people put them on their sides or whatever. One, uh, one of my lifters, uh, one of my members, regularly uses one of the, the bench two board yeah yeah, yeah. as Ex a tripod yeah and i swear to god i have threatened her with death at various points because <laughs> she leaves it just like in the middle of the gym it's like you're the only person that uses that i know it's you put it the fuck away <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah like i i don't remember when we when we sort of moved to doing that i feel like it's in the last couple of years um but on that, like uh, one one thing that you brought up before we started recording was just that whole idea of when does filming go too far or when can it be a negative? Because by and large, we encourage people to film, especially for online coaches. We need to see that shit. Uh, I love the idea of people keeping a training log. Like I wish I had videos of my early lifting. I've got very few of them. Or I think back to my BMX days, I wish I had videos of the progress that I made on the bike. But I can't. Man, I, I tried to find like old rugby footage. I spent like a good couple of hours like doing some YouTube dives for like old rugby games to see if I could find stuff like that. I wish I could go back and watch fucking fat, slightly unathletic John run around in a tight rugby jersey. But mm. yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, so there. I found the forum, what, by the way, the thing. It's like what's happening at PTC Gold Coast. And then it's all these. There's a video excellent. of me benching 250 by three single play. There you go. Sick. Fuck us, um, Anyway. Was. Uh, <laughs> the, so, yeah, the, I brought that point up because I have had this discussion with 
a handful of people over the last few months who I would put sort of broadly into the category of like high level beginners to moderate intermediates. Hmm. Um, and they're the people who are like pretty into powerlifting or, or are often the people who are pretty into powerlifting film almost everything they do have a very good understanding of what they're trying to do from a techniques point technique standpoint in most cases have like reasonably good and fairly consistent technique in general mm-hmm. but then end up sort of hamstringing themselves by obsessing over nuances of technical deviation from set to set within a training session to the point where for a few of them I've actually had to say like film everything because I still want to be able to see it but you're not allowed to watch anything in the session because I think there's this default loop of you do the set how did it feel oh let me have a look at the video and then I'll tell you it's like, no, that's the fucking wrong answer to this, right? Like, how did it feel? Ah, it felt pretty hard. Okay, cool. You know, one of my favorite questions, like, which one was the best? Which one was the worst? Like, that sort of thing. And being able to make that assessment and then look at the video is, I think, the powerful tool, right? Like, that's the best way to use it. Because like anything, you kind of swing the pendulum too far in one direction and you start to see the side effects of it, right? And mm. and in this particular case, the, the person I'm thinking of, I, I had to say over a couple of weeks, like, yo, stop it. Like, stop obsessing over your technique. Your technique's very, very good. You're never going to be perfect with every rep you do, but if you're trying for perfect on every single rep, you're probably making the right decisions anyway. But if you let the outcome of perfect get in the way of the load on the bar, especially like in that final couple of months before a competition, you are just genuinely holding yourself back. Absolutely. Right? Like you, you're making your progress worse because you're obsessing about it. And actually the analogy I've started using, and I was quite proud of coming up with this myself, um, I really like using learning to drive and driving is an analogy for a lot of stuff because it's a skill that most of us is, as an adult have learned. And um, the way I've described it to a few people is imagine you've got a dash cam and you've got a desire to be a better driver. And so every day on your way home from work, you film your commute, and you go home and you spend the, let's call it 30 minutes. What It's probably 45 minutes by the time you stop and rewind a couple of times. And you watch your whole commute and you take notes on like which corners didn't you do well in and like where didn't you hit the apex and those sort of things. And then you go and try and implement all of those changes on the next day's commute. That's going to make not only you probably a worse driver, you're going to then actually put up a whole lot of big blinders to other aspects of your driving and the environment around you Mm. because you're too obsessed about that one aspect of it. But you're also going to be so fucking stressed the whole time trying to do it well Mm. that you don't, A, enjoy it, that you don't do it as well. You'll probably actually get incrementally worse for a little while. And the whole experience is just going to be really fucking stressful and unpleasant, right? Mm. Yet for so many of us, that's the default answer in training. Do a set at 50%, watch the video. Like, I don't give a fuck what your squat at 50% looks like. Like it just it doesn't matter to me that much because it can be so variant based on how you feel that, like, yeah, 80%, cool, let's talk about it. But at 50%, maybe you just are really tight and still not very warm. Cool, that'll work be fine. But when every set you do is an opportunity to get better, which it absolutely is, and I'm, I'm not trying to say it isn't, 
But when it's I'm obsessing over trying to do something different every time or, or nitpicking tiny little nuance, that can be explained away as like, that just wasn't as good as the last one. And, mm. You know, shit happens, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's a really easy trap to fall into because I've fallen into it. I'm sure you have at various points too. Um, but now as a coach, I have enough objectiveness to be able to zoom out and, and pull away from it. Um, but it's it's something that a lot of people really need to think about. Yeah, and as zooming out is the thing. It's like that that micromanagement of these sets doesn't actually uh, doesn't actually serve you very well, especially if you're not the expert. So like, <laughs> it's, it's annoying yeah. when a lifter's like, oh, "I felt this happen and I saw it, so I corrected it by doing this." Don't do that. It happened because of this, not because of that. Yeah, just just lift. Like to steal your to steal your analogy, like it'd be the same as a car race. You warm up. That's when you focus on learning and thinking about the little things. Then when it's time to race, you fucking perform. You go hard. Yeah. It's like te- technique matters on the warm-ups, performance matters on the top sets, and your goal over time is to reconcile the two. It's yeah. it's it's can be so self-defeatist to get so thinky and feely when you just need to lift. And like you said, especially in those like crucial strength building blocks leading into a peak or a competition or something like that. Uh, and yeah. it's hard because, like, uh, by the same token, um, looking at videos, lining up how something felt with how something looked. Oh, that felt really hard. Oh, actually, it was quite easy. Or yeah. oh, I felt like I went way over into my right leg. Oh, actually, that was even. So if you yeah. feel that, you're probably doing something right. You know, like, uh, yeah. it's so easy to take what can be really positive and spin it to be really negative by putting too much stock in it without realizing that every set you do is just practice and practice uh practice is inclusive of things not being perfect it has to be by the definition of it right like failure is a far better teacher than success ever will be Mm. and i think so many of us are guilty of ignoring the very intrinsic understanding of what feels good and what doesn't, right? Like I think because we talk about technique and technique improvement, so like it's very much at the forefront of the conversation, especially in the powerlifting world, um, I think sometimes that ends up leading, again, these sort of like high beginner, low intermediate, moderate intermediate lifters to kind of ignore their feelings a little bit in a way that like, oh, it doesn't look perfect, this one looks more perfect, but it feels like shit, right? Like that is actually not a good thing. I don't want that. Like, yeah, it might feel a bit weird as you change some things or you you start to rebuild these processes. But, and I've talked a lot to, again, that kind of window of lifter recently about like my role as a coach is not to teach you how to lift. It's to help you find a framework for what works for you based on my understanding of the principles of what we're trying to do and how I think about things and the frameworks I use so that then you can go away and practice. And the goal isn't necessarily a perfect rep because if it's perfect at this point, we just put a bit more weight on and it'll fall apart pretty quickly. The goal is to improve your average rep over time, right? Mm. Like you're trying to get better and I've sort of always stolen your idea of like you're under your max, you're an average of every rep you've ever done. So if we can improve that average and mean that, you know, of a set of five, your average goes from two and a half to four, well, then you're getting better and therefore your execution at that top end when we don't want you to think, when we just want you to do, is way more likely to be what we're looking for. Mm. I like it. I have a lot else to say. No, neither do I really. Pretty much covers it. 
Thanks for listening. We're back. Yeah. We might see you next year. Maybe. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye.